Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Today is the 30th of November. Here is the question to start off. When's the last time you witnessed a baptism? Maybe it was your own baptism. And so, you know, I want to celebrate with the baptized today. And for those of you who are listening who don't know what baptism is, don't know why Christians um, are baptized, uh, don't know why a person would do that. So baptism is this outward and visible expression of an inward and spiritual reality. So I'll say that again. Baptism is this outward and visible expression commanded by our Lord Jesus Christ that we do on his behalf um, and on behalf of people who have come to faith in him. So it's this outward and visible expression using physical water um, of an inward and a spiritual reality. So we are laying public claim to what Christ has done for us and in submersion in baptism, we recognize that we are dead to sin, right? It's going under the water. We're being buried, like it's just burying our sin, right? And then rising to newness of life that we might walk forward as new people in Christ Jesus. So all the old has passed away, like literally like washed away. That's the symbolism. And we are raised to newness of life. That's the, that's the symbolism of baptism. That's what's going on. Um, and so baptism is this public act. Um, and then there's lots of conversations about it that go from there. Where should it take place? Who should perform it? What should the words, you know, be said? Well, Jesus actually gives us a formula, like, right, we baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's what we do. And we baptize our brothers and sisters in Christ because that's who baptism is now carried out by. And so the who of it um, is Christians baptizing new believers and using water to do it. Well, what water? Well, where must it take place? And so if you're a person who's right now has in your mind um, that baptism must take place in a particular context in order to be efficacious, in order to have effect, I want you to ask yourself why. I mean, you know, if it's, if it's, gonna, if it's gotta be like Jesus, then we've all gotta go to, uh, to the River Jordan and be baptized. So that's not gonna happen, right? So, uh, and water that is common in some places is not common in other places, right? It is really cold in some places in the world. If you think that, you know, the only place to be baptized is outside in a river like Jesus was baptized, well, you know, hello, polar bear plunge for some people in some places, or where, you know, every body of water is infested by crocodiles. Like, I, I, don't, you know, I don't know if that's prudent. How about in a horse trough? How do you feel about that? How about a puddle? How about that, you know, whatever that puddle was that uh, Philip came upon with the Ethiopian eunuch and they stopped the chariot and they baptized him right there in the moment. You good with that? Or does it have to be a fount or a baptismal font, like a tub? 
I lift all of this up because there's a very fascinating conversation taking place across the country. If you've been to a baptism recently or if you have seen churches um, engaged in baptism, like horse troughs are uh, now big business. People also being baptized in hot tubs, swimming pools in backyards, on and on and on and on and on. Um, what happens in baptism has never changed. The way we do it is actually in many places and circumstances returning to the way it used to be done. Here's the bottom line. If you're not baptized and you're a believer, get baptized. Ask another believer to baptize you. Please baptize me. Here's the way you do it. My brother or sister in Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you're submerged in the water, dying with Christ under the water and raised to walk in newness of life with him. Up from the grave he arose and up from the water we arise as well. All right, there's a really great article in the New York Times on this topic if you uh, have an interest in pursuing it a little bit further. It is entitled, Horse Troughs, Hot Tubs, and Hashtags, Baptism is Getting Wild. All right, up next, we got Justin Gibney uh, back again. He and I are going to talk about some headline news. I'm also going to ask him what he's not running for next year. Yep, that's right. We'll be right back. All right, joining us again today, Justin Gibney from the And Campaign. He co-hosts an excellent podcast called the Church Politics Podcast that I highly recommend. Um, and to my knowledge, he's not running for anything next year, but we're now going to ask him what he's not running for. Justin Gibney, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Carmen, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So um, I found it curious that uh, someone... Um, who is already famous, is uh, is being made famous by announcing that he's not running for something. And so I thought it would be a little fun to ask you, what are you not running for next year? Whatever office you could come up with, I am not running for it. Uh, <laughs> so that could be that in, could include the uh, governor's office in Georgia, it could include the Senate, uh, the whole list. Not running. Not running. Not running. Uh, yeah, me either. So uh, I just... Uh, I just found it curious that we have reached the stage in time where um, some people have to tell us that they're not running. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Anyway, I thought it was a little bit fun. Um, I would like for you to simply um, reflect on the outcomes of both the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, trial in Wisconsin and the trial of the men who murdered Ahmad Arbery and and help us bring that into view in terms of the legal system and uh, how how it's functioning. Sure. Uh, so first with Kyle Rittenhouse, as, as many already know, he was acquitted of uh, first degree intentional homicide and I think four other felony charges uh, based on that acquittal came based on the claim of, of self-defense. Um, basically, the jury would have had to come to a unanimous, unanimous decision that he wasn't defending himself under those circumstances. Uh, the self-defense law in Wisconsin really uh, kind of allows someone to use deadly force if they reasonably believe uh, they are in imminent danger of death or, or great bodily harm. And the first thing that comes to mind in this particular case is that this was so preventable that none of this had to happen. I do not think that Kyle Rittenhouse 
uh, should have placed himself in that in that position. Uh, and so this, you know, these deaths and these injuries should have never happened. Uh, even within saying that, I do have to say that I think the narrative that was in a lot of the mainstream media didn't necessarily quite match all the facts and, and really the application of the law. And so I do understand uh, where the jury was coming from based on the law, based on the jury instructions they were given. Again, it's just a very unfortunate circumstance uh, because it didn't have to happen. It was preventable. And I think uh, a lot of people in that situation could have made uh, different choices and done better. And then we also have to consider the context was not, as some kind of try to make it, it was not the context of a peaceful protest. I still don't think that justifies what happened, and I think it's an uh, unfortunate circumstance altogether. Um, in regard to the McMichael trial, um, all three men uh, who were charged in the death of Ahmad Arbery, uh, who was the unarmed black uh, jogger in Brunswick, uh, Georgia, were convicted of felony murder, aggravated assault, uh, I think false imprisonment, and attempt to commit a felony. Travis McMichael, who actually fired the shot, was convicted of malice murder. Uh, and we'll see will likely receive a, a minimum of uh, life in prison. Uh, that was just, you know, I think justice was served from, from what I can tell. Uh, the sad part is this almost never happened that because of uh, a, a bad prosecutor, this was, you know, these folks were almost not brought to justice. And that's something we have to watch out for. Um, thankfully, it, it did happen. There's some folks uh, down in Brunswick, a lot of local people. You saw a lot of the national folks get a lot of attention, but it was really local pastors uh, uh, down there who did a lot of the work. Folks like uh, my friend John uh, John Roberts and others who did a lot of work in making sure that this happened, and I, I commend them for what they did. Talk about um, how you think a community then goes forward, like, and maybe not even a community. Uh, well the local community, but then also like kind of everybody else, because there's obviously something at the root of what happened to uh, Ahmad Arbery. Like something still exists that, uh, that allowed for something that should have never happened to happen. Um, so what do we do? Like, we need to do something. This isn't just about believing in our hearts and minds that everyone's equally created in the image of God. This is about doing something. We got to do something different. Yeah, I think it starts with uh, uh, coming together and really examining what went wrong. And I think a great place to start is with the church, with diverse churches coming together and having real conversations about how did we go wrong why do we take someone who's a jogger in the instance of uh, the McMichael trial and just make so many assumptions to where he dies and he didn't have to die? What racial assumptions, what um, kind of, uh, you know, what, what are the, the assumptions that we're making and biases that we have that lead us to this place? And then it has to come with action. I mean, I mean, well, let, let me not skip prayer. I think praying together and, and making that examination together is big. But then there's action, making sure that you don't have prosecutors who lack integrity and would even try to to hide you know a case like this based on their familiarity with the uh, you know the uh, uh, potential defendants and all and all that stuff. I think those uh, social those uh, criminal justice elections are very important, and it's a place where Christians can come together and get people who have experience and who uh, have character to be in those positions and, and do things differently. Yeah, those are people that we elect. I think that's important to remind ourselves of as well. 
Uh, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, I'm going um, to ask Justin to talk with us about a man named Kevin Strickland. If you have not yet heard his name, um, I shared it yesterday and part of his story. Um, but Kevin Strickland has been in prison for 43 years. Um, wrongfully convicted of a crime he did not commit. And we're going to talk about that next. We'll be right back. Justin Gibney is with us this morning. You can find him at andcampaign.org. You can also find him on the Church Politics Podcast, which is one of my favorites. So you should check it out. Um, let's talk about Kevin Strickland. Uh, introduce him to folks who are listening who don't know his story. Um, and then let's just talk about the wider issue of people who are wrongfully convicted in this country. Yeah, I mean, uh, you see in this story, and, and you, you kind of uh, nailed it from the beginning, that you have someone who served, who's been in prison for decades based on allegations and based on a charge that, you know, really didn't fit him, that he was falsely has been in prison for um, some things that he hasn't done. Um, and I think as we approach an issue like this, we have to approach it with a broken heart. I mean, there's a reason that our uh, criminal justice system is set up to say, hey, we would rather err on the side of someone who is guilty getting away than someone who's innocent going to jail. And that's why, you know, that's why we say the prosecution has to prove the case and they bear the burden because you don't ever want someone who is innocent to have their life kind of wasted away in prison. And and, and I don't think it's a waste. There's a lot of people who uh, can be productive there, but we know it's hard to reach your potential when you're in a place that you don't deserve to be. And so I think mm -hmm. we have to make sure, and that's why we all need to participate in these criminal justice elections. We all need to make sure that we're looking at, at our laws to make sure that they're fair, to make sure that they're not having a desperate impact on one group or another, because we have these instances, and this isn't the only instance. We have these instances where we have innocent people serving a lot of time, and no matter how much money you know somebody like that is given, I know uh, some folks have raised money for them, you can't give people that time back. You can't give uh, families those moments back. And so we need to do all we can to try to prevent that uh, from ever happening again. So, you know, we have a rule of law. We've talked about this a little bit um, on prior occasions. We have a rule of law. That's how we function as a people. Um, what happens, in your view, Justin, when, when people just completely disregard the law. I guess I'm thinking about this sort of rash of, of, of uh, smash and grab robberies that have seemed to become, have become like a trend and are done by like groups of people. Um, mm -hmm. When we've reached the place where the rule of law doesn't stand up, I mean, does that trouble you? Because that troubles me. Yeah, I mean, that's injustice. So when you prosecute people who haven't done anything, that's injustice. When you don't prosecute people who have done something that's injustice too and so when you look at these cities whether it be you know in this uh, uh pacific northwest or wherever where they're not actually prosecuting people for stealing and all this other stuff you say that's injustice and that's 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 bad too and we cannot let that happen that's that's disorder and we we as you know we have a god of order um and we shouldn't allow that type of disorder to go on either way but sometimes we overcorrect and we say well you know we want to be uh, compassionate, and so we're not going to prosecute. 
that's not a biblical form of compassion. And I think that's, again, it's injustice and we shouldn't allow that to happen either. Yeah, I think that, that that's a, a robust conversation um, that we have to learn to have in in positive ways. I think those uh, the language you just brought forward is really good. I mean, you know, conversations about order versus chaos, conversations about compassion and what compassion really is and what it looks like. Um, you know, we do have problems. We do have challenges. Nobody is, is denying that. But how we resolve um, those challenges and, and how more people get to participate in, um, you know, in sort of the positive ordering of, of society, like that seems to be the right direction to go, not just a devolution into, um, into anarchy. I, I'm not interested in anarchy. I, yeah, I know you're not either. Um, no, all right, not at all. So, uh, yeah, I know. So um, as we look forward to the coming of uh, uh, the celebration of the coming of Jesus, are there some things, um, some traditions in your own family and or some practices with your, your wife and kids that like rise to the top of your mind when I say, hey, Justin, like what are some things that you guys do? Yeah, I mean, one of the things I always try to do is read through Luke um, uh, the Gospel of Luke uh, before uh, we get to Christmas, and so that's that's one thing that we always try to do, uh, and you know we really really just in, enjoy it, trying to get them to understand um, Advent, trying to get them to understand what this really means outside of just uh, the presence. But that's that's what the, comes to the top of mind uh, for me when you ask that question. Well, um, you couldn't have given a better answer. We are reading through the Gospel of Luke together, starting tomorrow. Um, and people can actually sign up to join us at MyFaithRadio.com. we got a study guide and a podcast. A little, it's going to be great. So you couldn't have picked a better thing to say. I love that. Thank you, my brother. I love that. Oh. I didn't even tee him up. You guys think out there that I sent him <laughs> that note, and I didn't. Um, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing on the Church Politics Podcast. Um, seriously, I uh, the, the one prior to the current one, I mean, I just I listened to it three or four times. I thought it was just excellent. So thank wow. you so much wow. for what you're doing there. Um, really appreciate it. I got a lot out of that, that conversation about wisdom and what's going on with emotional intelligence. It was just fantastic. So, all right, um, you guys, that is Justin Gibney. You can find him online and campaign.org, also the Church Politics Podcast. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Everybody knows. When you think about... Um, the fact that you probably have a phone within reach right now. There is probably uh, another connected device within view, if not on and busy doing something. Um, This constant connection that we have leaves us restless. And so what does it look like to find some rest and rest in the Lord from our devices. That's actually the topic of conversation up next. Felicia Wusong is the author. The book is Restless Devices. And yes, I have copies to give away. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Restless devices. What does it look like for you and I to Well, even take a media fast from time to time. Recover our personhood in the presence and the place in this digital age. We'll be right back. 
Toward the end of the book of Esther, we read, Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. This is Max Lucado. The book of Esther does not end with a victory in battle. It ends with a call to remember. One tradition is the baking of a three-cornered jelly-filled pastry. The hidden jelly recalls the hiddenness of God. I like the idea that God's presence, scrumptious and unseen, is baked into the story of redemption. And I appreciate the value of a two-day celebration in which people of faith revisit the way their God prevailed. We tend to forget. We forget that God is for us, not against us. That God can make beauty out of ashes. We need memorials that jog our memory. I'm excited to uh, introduce you today to Felicia Song. She is a professor. She's a cultural sociologist of media and digital technology. She teaches at Westmont College in Santa Barbara, California. Um, She is living what she's teaching. She does have two teenagers in her house. And this little fun fact, she wants to learn more about baking bread. Felicia, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. So I feel like um, we would have a good sourdough, maybe, in common. Oh, yes. Oh, definitely. Right? Yes. Like, can't you, like, just, that's one of the ones you can smell when you say it. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That's so Definitely. Sourdough, anything is good. All right. We are going to talk today about your book, Restless Devices, Recovering Personhood, Presence, and Place in the Digital Age. I want to start off with a question about ecology, because this is um, part of the language you use is understanding the digital ecology. What does that mean? Yeah, I use that word purposefully because I think when we are excited about our technologies or frustrated by them, we think of them as the actual device, you know, the smartphone or the laptop or the tablet or whatever. But I use the word ecology to get us to think about how it is something that is much bigger. It is an entire system that we are immersed in that is beyond our devices, but it is the streaming services. It is all the social media platforms. It's at work. It's at school. It is an entire environment that um, is what makes the impact what it is. I think that's the language, right? It's the environment. It's the, Mm -hmm. it's the air. It's, um, uh, you know, I would have said it's the water we're swimming in, but you take us um, in the opposite direction and you start off really with a conversation about living at altitude. So I think for people who have ever climbed a mountain, they um, they can immediately uh, understand what you're talking about here. But talk about being at altitude and how we are now at altitude in terms of technology. Yeah. So when we're at altitude and if you're not prepared for it, um, you get all the physiological reactions, right? You got a headache, you're irritable. And I think a lot of us, we're living in times when we're irritable about a lot of different things. There's lots of good reasons to be irritable. Um, But um, a lot of times uh, we don't know exactly what it is. And if we're at at the mountaintop and we forget that we're at altitude and we're trying to figure out, well, what is it? Did I not eat breakfast? Did I, am I just out of shape, right? 
um, it's so important for us to be aware, right, of where we are um, and, um, and understanding that we're actually under in an environment that is created, it's designed, right, um, to put a lot of pressure on us. Yeah. So instead of being able to sort of look at something external and say, hey, I can set that aside. I have the, um, you know, I have the personal will and I have uh, I have the personal freedom. Um, I can set that aside. The challenge is everyone else is operating there. And so if I want to genuinely engage with other people, um, even in the marketplace of the real marketplace, the marketplace, marketplace and the marketplace of ideas, like it's all happening now in a digital world and in a digital framework. So I want you to help us understand why you wrote Restless Devices, like what motivates it and then cast the vision um, that you're really setting forth in this book. Yeah. So I think, you know, when I talk to uh, my friends and listen to other folks um, just talk about what it's like uh, working parenting, living in today's world, I just get this sense that everyone's feeling what I'm feeling, which is we're tired, we're Mm -hmm. exhausted, we're feeling pulled in a lot of directions. And a lot of it is related to having to keep up with our email and our texts and all the different platforms that we're on. Um, And so what motivated the book was wanting to um, present a Um, explanation in some ways of why we feel this way and that it's not like you said earlier not just about whatever our you know personal will might be or weakness you know a lot of us actually want to stop right we want to get offline we want to not have to be on that treadmill but it's hard right it's super hard so I want to write something that explains well why is it so hard and it's not just about us it's the structure it's the environment it's the design of the devices, of our society. Um, and then, as you mentioned, wanting to cast a vision, especially for people of faith, to say, hey, if you're a person of faith, if you are a Christian, there are actually incredible resources within our heritage, within our theology, um, that gives us some good starting points um, to start chipping away at, hey, how can I start living a life that isn't run by my technologies, right, that isn't driven by them, um, but one in which I can actually return back to the things I profess to believe, right, that, that I do, I do serve other purposes as a human being, um, and um, that I am also embodied as a person, and that, that really begins to matter a lot. So we're talking with Felicia Song. The book is Restless Devices, Recovering Personhood, Presence, and Place in the Digital Age. Um, We're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, Felicia, I want to talk about liturgy. Um, That is a word that a lot of people listening right now have probably not thought much about. They certainly have not thought about the ways in which we follow a liturgy um, in our day-to-day lives, nor how we as Christians might consider um, reclaiming the, the liturgy of the days in which we live and even, um, you know, maybe teach a, a more positive liturgy to others. So that's the conversation we're going to have with Felicia when we come back. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Picking up where we left off with Felicia Song, the um, the book is Restless Devices. Um, Felicia, 
talk about the word liturgy. Talk about the secular liturgy that, you know, that shapes who we are and what we love um, now. And then let's talk also about a more positive liturgy that we might both learn and practice and teach others. Sure. Uh, So the word liturgy um, in its original Greek is the work of the people. But I think more practically, we'll get a moment. Um, I think a lot of people, if in contact with liturgy, they might think of kind of more traditional Sunday worship services that have some pretty strict form. And so they liturgies might be a particular way of conducting worship that is um, at certain points you sing certain songs and you up and you kneel and you bend certain places. But that's the more traditional churches. Uh, worship service form, but there's every church has a liturgy. Every church has Mm -hmm. some kind of form. Um, And so the reason why liturgy becomes important is, is what it does, right? The point of liturgy is that it forms us is through repetition uh, day in, day out, week in, week out. It is form that begins to shape us even without our knowing it. Um, In that sense, you could think of liturgy as kind of like habits, right? Um, intentional habits that we take on. I think athletes and musicians, artists know actually a lot about liturgies. I mean, you're doing those reps or those scales. Those are kind of liturgical, right? They're training you um, towards a certain way of being, of, of knowing, you know, how to move your body or how to attune your skills, right? Or your ear towards something. And so what liturgy does in the context of the church it's in many ways is to attune ourselves to God. Um, and so I use the term liturgy um, from Jamie Smith's book, You Are What You Love, because he talks about how when we don't think about our habits, um, they become secular liturgies. That is, um, when we just adopt the habits of our society, these liturgies, these habits, they shape us, right? They shape us in ways that aren't necessarily shaping us towards the kingdom of God. And I want to argue that our digital habits are one kind of secular liturgy, right? That in, embedded in the ways that we use our technologies, embedded in um, the ways that our social media platforms kind of influence the ways we act and even think about ourselves, we're being formed. And mm-hmm. so um, the argument is, as people of faith, uh, one, we need to become aware of how we're being formed by, by our digital practices. But then on top of that, right, um, it's not just get rid of, right, get rid of the bad habits, even though we need to kind of do that as well. Um, But as Smith argues, um, we need to take on new habits, counter liturgies to actually fill ourselves um, with the good, the stuff actually leads us towards the kingdom of God. Um, And so I find that to be just a helpful framework for thinking, to start thinking about how we can be making some, uh, starting with some small changes um, in our digital practices. Yeah, that expulsive power of a new affection. I mean, that's the counter liturgy that you're talking about. Um, and I and I just love it. So let's talk, um, let's share with folks the Freedom Project. Um, as I read it, it's got four stages, a digital media fast, uh, a digital stock taking, which um, took me a while, um, a secular <laughs> liturgy, and then a counter liturgy, and then um, this conversation about alternative futures and the role of the church. So walk us around in the vision of a freedom project. Yeah, so I think a lot of us 
um, we feel a lot of shame actually about our totally. ta- uh, our digital totally. habits, right? Absolutely, no question about it. We do <laughs> right? not. I do not want to tell you what my phone <laughs> what my phone says about how much time I spend on digital media. I, I don't even want to confess that. Yeah, right on. Um, so, so I like to think about the kind of change and make it in our lives, not in terms of shame um, and and guilt, but rather in terms of freedom, right? Um, we talk about the fear of missing out, you know, whatever's online, but I actually want to kind of turn that bit on its head. Hey, but maybe we're actually, when we're online <laughs> trying to keep up, maybe we're actually missing out on something else, right? Something else in our life, um, in our in our lived experience. And so the Freedom Project really is trying to, mot- to, trying to motivate us to think about um, getting off our devices or, or, or changing our habits with our devices um, in a way that, that encourages us to see that it's towards freedom. It's towards a kind of freedom or independence from that feeling of being driven. Um, and so, yeah, so the first step is, is the digital fast, which I think is actually the hardest, um, which is spending 24 hours just away from all things digital as best as you can. Um, and like all fasts, the purpose is not to necessarily succeed, um, but it is just to become aware of how hard it is um, and um, become aware of our level of dependence. And then taking is, is um, just to become aware of, like you said earlier, how much time we're actually on the screen um, mm-hmm. or what it, what it is that we're actually looking at our screens for, right? Like, why am I, why, why am I even on here? Um, I think so, um, in between, in between conversations to check our phones, right? Um, to check our feeds and, and to just, it's becoming more aware and have some self-reflection about it. Um, and there's different ways to go about doing that. And that's what I suggest in the book. Um, and then um, the third stage is, is to start trying different experiments. Um, I like the idea of using experiments rather than some kind of like 30 day plan to, you know, get off your phone or whatever. Um, partly cause I, I'm terrible at 30 day plan anything. Um, <laughs> I can't even get through a new year's resolution. Like within two weeks I've broken everything. Um, and so I like the idea of experiments cause you know, I'm a social scientist, even if your experiment fails, quote unquote, right. It doesn't do what you want it to do. You've gathered data. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> no matter what. And that's always a win, right? Um, and so experimenting um, with new counter liturgies, like, hey, you know, if I always wake up in the morning and check my phone first, maybe I can experiment and see what it's like if I spend the first 15 minutes of my day not looking at any device. Just try it. Try it three or four times and see how that goes. Um or, you know, if you're someone that loves multitasking or you feel driven to multitask, you know, what would it be like to monotask actually do one thing that is, you know, my favorite example is like, if you're driving, just drive, you know, <laughs> right. like, don't listen, which I know I probably shouldn't say right now. Um, no, it's okay. Interview. They can listen to it on a podcast. If yeah, they turn yeah, off right the, on. the actual radio, they can listen to it later streaming or yeah, whatever. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So um, uh, let's, um, let's be sure that we, um, that we get to the church's role in, 
um, yeah. in your vision for the Freedom Project? Because I think that in terms of an alternative future, the, the church has a role to play both now and then. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so this gets back to the word liturgy as the work of the people. I think there's a lot of things that we can do, um, a lot of changes we can make individually in our own digital habits. But like you said, in the way beginning, in the end of the day for anything to be sustainable, it's so hard when you're the only one like making mm-hmm. these changes in your life and everybody else is still online. Everyone else is still expecting you to be online, right? Um, and so I really think that the church is the place where we can do liturgy, like practice and do these experiments together um, so that we're not actually doing it alone, but that we're all right. uh, Thinking about, you know, maybe I'm um, uh, not just going on my platform whenever I have a break, but I'm I'm setting times to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not just eating into my day and we're doing it together. Um, and that it actually becomes a part of our life, our church community life together, um, that this is a part of our faith journey, right? Um, because yeah, I, I think that. in the end of the day, this is a this is a work of discipleship, right? I mean, this is what it is to um, walk together and saying, yeah, we, we worship the Lord Jesus. He is the Lord of our life. Well, what does that actually look like on the day to day, right? And so I really do think it is something to pilgrim with others in. And then as a church community, um, I think there's lots of, it raises lots of interesting questions, right, about how we do church. Um, And certainly uh, we've gone through, we're still in, but we've gone through kind of like the the really hard part of the pandemic where church life has gone online in deep ways. Um, I think it's a ripe season for us to be asking questions about how do we be together when we have that opportunity what should we be doing, right? That would be truly delightful in a moment of communion together that isn't necessarily something you could do on YouTube. Um, so I think there's, it's, it's an opportunity, you know, yeah. um, to have really great conversations now. I completely agree with you. Um, Felicia, I, I feel like the language that you use draws me in. I love the language of that, which is ripe. I love pilgrim language. I love life together language. I feel like you're a person that if I ever wanted to learn to knit, like you'd be a fun person to sit and learn to knit with because the language that you use is um, it's known, it's familiar, but in a way that is um, very timely. And so I just wanted to, um, you know, just acknowledge those notes of appreciation for the way that you speak and the way that you write about very, um, you know, timely and serious concerns. So the book is Restless Devices. Felicia's song is the author. You can also find her um, on, well, where can people find you online if they want to? Is that even something we do? Are we finding you (laughs) online? I have a personal website. It's FeliciaWooSong.com. That's where you can find me. Fantastic. There you go. Felicia Woo Song. Uh, and you can find her online. The book is Restless Devices. Felicia, what a delight. We should make some sourdough bread together at some point. Oh, I would love that. That mm-hmm. and knitting. That, that and knitting. I feel like knitting and sourdough <laughs> is a good uh, is a good group name. All right. That's uh, Felicia's song. Um, Felicia, thank you so much for joining us. You guys are listening to Mornings with Carmen, and we'll be right back. Um, 
All right, it is, uh, among other things, Giving Tuesday. And so let us give thanks to the Lord our God, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let us give God the glory due his name. If you are in a position to give, we would love to um, be a part of your Giving Tuesday here at Faith Radio. You can do so by texting the word GIVE to 877-933-2484. You can always give online at MyFaithRadio.com. And, you know, you know us. We're, we're always giving as well. So if you would like to enter the drawing for a copy of um, Felicia's book, Restless Devices, you can text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. Yep, we are in the season of giving, the season during which God gives to us his one and only son. Ultimately, Jesus gives his life on our behalf. You're going to be called to give some things today that might be hard to give. Let us be sure that in the midst of all of it, we are giving God his due, the glory due his name. Thanks for being here. I love our time together. See you right back here tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.